Wait. Remember the name. And my goodness, it's gone way down to Swansea. Open style. I, was, I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on me. Yeah. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes low. Oh, you right. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. The cricket never really went away at all, but here we are in April and the sound of Cork and Willow and huge disappointment from Ollie Gordon on his Saturday as it's wasted with a four off 20. The cricket season is wheeling around into view. The IPL's underway. The county championship kick-ups kicks off and England are still moping around, having bad results and saying who should be sacked and who should be appointed. Welcome back to the cricket season, everybody. This is The Wrong Un. I'm Bertie Moores and with me is uh, Satch Agarwal from the... Quite uncrickety climbs of Switzerland. Hello, hello, yeah, indeed, and uh, <laughs> and Ollie Gordon from the more cricketing climbs of uh, Nottingham. Uh, how are we getting on, boys? It's been a it's been a while. Such as changed countries permanently for tax reasons. It's not for tax <laughs> reasons. I'm 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 not a tax evader or a tax avoider. I'm a tax planner. Tax planner. That's interesting. That's yeah. I'd like to see what HMRC say about that. Uh, I, I, but... I mean, HMRC are yet to be notified about my tax planning. <laughs> well, HMRC won't be entertained uh, by you and your tax returns, uh, but we are entertained by the IPL. It's uh, it's come back into view after what seems like about, about six weeks off, and it's going to be here for about six months or so. Is that the right amount of time for you, Ollie? Because we know you're generally a, a huge fan of the subcontinental shorter formats. To be honest, how long has the IPL been on before now? About a month. Well, it, it started this week, <laughs> mate. Normally, about this time of the IPL, I'm actually I actually quite like it, and then it sort of my interest fades as the tournament goes on. So that my interest is very relatively low now is not a good sign. But maybe I'm going to go the other way, and as the tournament progresses, I'll maybe just choose a team that's doing well. Um, and back it like that. I I reckon you'll I reckon you'll pick up towards the end of the season, Ollie. Uh, especially as Rajasthan Royals are doing quite well, and you don't mind a bit of Rajasthan. I don't mind Rajasthan. Me. I did. I wanted Lucknow to do all right because their physio used to be at Nottinghamshire, and he's um, probably the best bloke I've, I've ever met. Actually, you sent us a lovely um, picture of uh, him with like a little uh, pomegranate martini or whatever it was the other day. Yeah, he, he looked very much at home, even though he's sort of a balding man and he's. 40s <laughs> yeah i just hadn't really heard much about him or of him uh, uh, since he'd left so i sort of typed his name up in twitter to see if any uh luck now members or supporters were raving about him and then that picture came up so it was great to see I've... james pipe pipe there with a little strawberry daiquiri or whatever it might have been i don't know Satch, <laughs> you might have a little bit of insight as to what that might have been but uh, I can't actually remember what it looked like it probably it probably bertie's right pomegranate juice of some description uh, but yeah, got no no idea. Well, I'm sure we can hopefully get Mr. Pipe on the show at some point here. <laughs> we actually, on it. Look, yeah, no. I'm, I'm I'm sure we could actually. That's uh, not a bad shout. Make it happen, Ollie. You see, yeah. clearly, uh, clearly, Bessie mates with him if he's the best bloke you've ever met. No, I think I think best mates. It has to be a, a mutual thing, doesn't it? That he has to like me as much <laughs> as I like him, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I think everyone who's who's met the guy will would say the same. He's um, yeah, fantastic man. So, come yeah, on, you, you giants. Look now, super, super giants. giants. Super, super giants. giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just giants. 
Well, uh, love it all over. The inevitable symbol of where cricket's going, uh, the IPL, uh, is back for 2022. And this time it is bigger or as big as it's ever been, but it's bigger than the previous instalment because there are now two new teams. We went from eight teams to 10 teams, back to eight teams for a few years, and now we're back to 10 teams because they now think it's financially viable. Two new teams, Satch, Lucknow Supergiants and the Gujarat Titans. Uh, both, in fact, have started quite well, uh, but it's sort of it, does this season herald a next step for the IPL in expanding and ultimately becoming a longer season, a bigger season and the biggest IPL yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, if, 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 if you're one of those people like Ollie Godden who, who hates the fact that it's expanded to 10, 10, 10 teams, then uh, you better get ready for it to expand to a million teams in the, in the, it's only going to get bigger lads. It's only going to get bigger and better. Um, no, it's been good. I think it's the right time, to be honest, for for the IPL to extend or expand. Um, the first time it did expand when it when it first went to ten teams, it was too early. There just wasn't there wasn't a concentration of quality. Uh, it was probably too fledgling a tournament or a concept. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of fell a bit flat. I, I think a lot of people actually lost interest in the IPL that season, um, just because it, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't captivating enough. But now there's just so much talent going around. Like it, everybody knows what the IPL is. There's the the, the, the infrastructure in place in terms of team scouting players from not just around the world, but in India. So every every squad can have a decent amount of depth. Even even an expanded league of ten teams can have a decent amount of depth. And maintain that quality. And to be honest, I don't think there's, from from what I've seen so far of the season, I don't think there's been a reduction in quality from a eight team, eight team tournament, which is kind of really what you want to see. You don't want to see a reduction in quality. Uh, the games have been competitive. There's been some absolute corkers, and you know the the, the package. And we all know IPL is a sort of it's not just cricket; it's the whole package. The package is still entertaining. So I think um, yeah, I think it's been a good a good start. What I found fascinating with it is that I didn't watch really much IPL, probably until the uh, the lockdown season in 2020, in terms of kind of vaguely properly following it and watching matches. And watching it the past couple of years, and I don't know if it was the case in the past or whether it was finding its feet or not at all, in terms of becoming an out-and-out global superpower of a league in the same way that like the Premier League does, La Liga does, the NFL does, having that whole package of everything together. But you watch it now and everything from the talent on show to the production values of the of the TV coverage to the the range of commentators, the quality of the coverage, it's such a well done thing. And even if you don't necessarily like the IPL and are worried that it will ultimately dictate the cricketing calendar in the future to an extent which might be to the detriment of other formats in international cricket. It's such a phenomenally well put together package nowadays that it is just so damn entertaining. I, mean, I wouldn't say some of the commentators are fantastic. That's maybe one of the uh, the weaker spots of the IPL. Is that some of the I was really surprised to see uh, see uh, Swanee pop up this year. Yeah, so was I actually. I, I heard his I heard That's his voice and I was. Um, I mean, I, I was, I heard it, and I was kind of hoping I was hearing Dominic Cork or someone like that. Because I was like, I got, I pray to God it's not Swanee because I can't. Stand what, would, him. what would Dominic Cork be doing on? Uh, well, no, no, no. I, Dominic Cork has commentated on the IPL before, really. I think, but yeah, or he's, he's, he's definitely, he's definitely done Indian coverage before. But I was just hoping it was somebody sounded vaguely 
non-Southern, but wasn't Graham's one, and it ended up being Graham's one, and I was a bit disappointed. But actually, he's not been too bad. He's been, I, uh, he's been all right. I particularly enjoyed his his really enthusiastic, enthusiastic sales for the Tata Punch, because uh, he was <laughs> like, oh, I'd love to get me one of them, take it around the streets of Nottingham. And you go, oh, he's really going above and beyond, because it's his, you, it's his first contract commentating, and you've, you've really got to sell, sell, sell. You can tell he's clearly taking the piss with it all, but... Yeah, I mean, he's he's also probably on a massive commentary contract. It's not just the players you get in these big contracts, is it? So he's that sponsor uh, yeah, this year. What's the sponsor this year? Tata IPL. Tata IPL. What's that a car? I assume Tata. Yeah, it's a car because they every year, every year they have a car that is the new yeah. thing. It was once the, Al- the Altros, Altros. Yeah, the um, Safari. Now it's the Tata Punch, which uh, is compact but still full of luxury. We've got the two new teams, looking on Super Giants, Goodrat Titans. Start with them. Uh, and they've both actually started pretty damn well, actually. Two wins out of uh, out of two for Goodrat and two out of three for Luck now, including a massive chase uh, from uh, Bodoni and Huda the other day. Uh, it seems like such an open title race this year, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like there's any obvious front runners to start with, does it? No, and that's what you'd expect, really, after a mega auction. You need to obviously remember that. The, the makeup of all the teams has changed drastically. Teams are only allowed to retain a maximum of four players, and you know not all teams did that. Um, so it's essentially a whole new look IPL. Imagine like the Premier League every season or every four seasons, going all all the players are released from all the teams and they go into a big draft and they all pick back up again in a different permutation. It's a bit like that, and yeah, I mean the the, the teams are completely different. So which is quite nice in a way. Um, you know, I guess. We got used to the likes of Mumbai doing really well and uh, CSK doing well. Um, so you know it was nice that there's been a bit of a shake up, but I think maybe it needs to be the last the last mega auction. I think teams want to now start and probably start to build squads for the long term and do a bit of scouting. But uh, yeah, I mean for that reason, it's 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 it's, it's wide open. And with the, the obviously with the two new teams, there's there's a you know different makeup of the talent pool and whatever. So. It's uh, it's 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 gonna be an interesting season. I don't, I don't think it's far too early right now to try and call who's gonna win the league or um, try and claim anything about any team in particular. You know, Gujarat have looked good so far in their two games. They've got a strong lineup. Uh, Rajasthan have also looked good, but you know, Rajasthan's team is very sort of hyper aggressive, hit and miss. Could could come off, could go wrong. Um, and so you know, a lot of these teams, you can, we, we need to just reserve judgment until we see. See, see them over a longer period over the season, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a very, very competitive league. And you know, you've got teams like Chennai and Mumbai at the bottom of the, of the league, haven't won a game yet. Could well come back strong over the rest of the season. Um, yeah, you could anything could happen. I'm, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what does happen. It's interesting looking Slash, at can the. Can you just uh... hop off the fence? Can you just hop off the fence for one minute and tell me who's going to win? So I don't need to watch it for the whole thing. Ollie, I'd love to tell you. Who's going to win? I'd love to tell you Punjab are going to win. I mean, they're currently sat fourth on the table. Um, but Punjab never wins, so I, I can't tell you Punjab are going to win. Um, I, if, if, if you want a, if you want a like, early season prediction from me, I will yeah, probably I go Gujarat Titans, I reckon. They look, they've look got a they've got a good bowling line. You know, Rashid Khan, Lockie Ferguson bringing some heat. Hamid Chami's in there. And then um, you've got Shubman Gill up top. He played an absolute blinder of an innings the other day. Um you know, some real spin power hitting. Um, I'm really hoping that actually, just on on that on that note, I'm really hoping this is the season Shubman Gill kind of fulfills his vast amounts of talent and promise that he's been 
threatening to do for the last few seasons and uh, really you know becomes the the, the the premier young Indian batsman. Um Delhi Capitals, I reckon you know, they've, they've had a sort of middling slow start, but they, and they were good last year as well. Delhi Capitals have been fantastic for a while. Um but yeah, you know, it, it remains to be seen how seen how the, the the mega auctions affected them. They still got Richard Panther, they still got um what's his name? I've, the name's gone off, off the top of my head. Uh, Axel Patel still got Axel Patel there. I mean, it was a bit of a questionable retention, but he's, he's, he's a good player. Um, and you know, the, the, the core is still generally there. So uh, you know, I, I like Delhi Capitals. I'd like to see them do well. But yeah, it was, it was, I'm, I'm not going to get get off the fence just yet, Ollie. Um, good draft then. That's about as much good as you're going to get. Good draft, maybe Rajasthan. We'll come back. Just name all the teams. We'll come back to the yeah. played next week once uh, once we've got away from almost some of the statistical noise that you get in a uh, in a T20 uh, tournament. We're only two games in. There's a there's a lot to play for, and there's it's a longer season. Ollie, you've been pleased to know we've moved away from 14 <laughs> games in the season to uh, to 18 regular season games, which uh, which you'd hope that over the course of more games, the the cream, the ghee should rise to the top. Is that what they say in India, sir? <laughs> <laughs> the should rise. Fuck off, Beth. <laughs> it's better than your tartar sauce, though. It's, it's better than that. Uh, but yeah, so the quality should shine through. Uh, we'll yeah, we'll focus on the games themselves a little bit more uh, next week. Uh, but such, I just want to. I was just wondering. Obviously, this is the first season of the IPL that, fingers crossed, in well, in three years, will happen exclusively within India. They're just playing at about three or four stadiums, I think, one in Mumbai, one in Navi Mumbai, which is just outside, and uh, Pune as well. Pune, yeah. Over the past three years, we've had a lot of games in the UAE, and it's still been entertaining. We've had a lot of low and slow wickets, as we've seen, and maybe not as much high scoring. But did the fact that it was transplanted away from India for two years do anything to affect its popularity or trajectory or anything, do you think? No, no, not at all, not at all. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think if uh, put cricket on telly and they will come. Put put cricket on telly and the people will come. There's enough people there to watch it. And to be honest, I think because because of, of all the lockdowns, a bit like what you said, Beth, because of all the lockdowns and people not being able to go out or whatever, you know, they need to entertain themselves with something. And if there's a Tata car on, on on the boundary somewhere in the world, people are going to watch it. From the shores of Mumbai to the outgrounds of Kent and Somerset. Exciting stuff. Ollie, he's he's suddenly perking up. He's suddenly happy. He's here. It's what pays his bills. The county championship is back on the road, back to the Premier Inns across the country. And it's shaping up to be a season where it looks like there's going to be a lot of batsmen who are averaging 30 or so, knocking on that England door, going, I'm probably better than the rest of you. So it seems like there's quite a lot of stake, a lot of stake this year, doesn't there, for maybe the individual players, but also <laughs> we're back in a hopefully non-COVID-y season with a normal format with as many games as well. Yeah, I think there'll be a few eyes on the county championship for that reason, exactly. I think any player, especially in Division 1, that does well, um, is probably going to give themselves a pretty good chance of Playing for England this summer, um, I know we haven't got that specific topic, but you look at them now, it's probably Root, Stokes and Wood, 
Archer, if they're fit, that they're nailed on players, which means there's um, there's a lot to go after, really. So anyone that gets a thousand runs, anyone that takes fifty wickets, they're really good shot playing for England. And also, I just think there's been a lot of movement since 2019 when the uh, league was structured how it is now, and they've gone back to that. Um, Sides like Lancashire, as much as it pains me to say it, uh, I think in with a good shout of, of winning Division 1 this year. Um, Northamptonshire obviously stayed in Division 1, so they're going to have a, a you know a challenge to stay in there, but it'll be a good test for them. Um, and in Division 2, there are, are some really good sides as well, obviously. Not hopefully be up there come the end of the season, but sides like Durham and Sussex, once once Joffre's back and, and bowl with the Red Bull, will be a, a handful as well. So I think there will be a, a fair bit of interest in the Championship this year. So the format has changed. We had that. We still are we still having the Bob Willis Trophy? No, to Bob Willis Trophy, I believe. But the Bob Willis Trophy has uh, has died a, a, a swift death. Yes, uh, we've moved away from the almost like the pool sections of having three divisions and then it narrowing down, which I think a lot of people found had its benefits. And we're going back to the two tier system. A lot of discussion amongst England cricket fans as to how the county championship sets up England batsmen. Firstly, is there evidence that going back to this system might benefit the national team, which is the question which a lot of England fans want to know? And secondly, is the schedule this year arguably more favourable for the county championship than it was last year? Um, well, the theory behind going back to a two-division structure is that you've got the best players playing against the best so your batters who are preparing for a, an international summer are playing against bowlers who are are trying to do the same um, you know Dom Sibley for example playing for Warwickshire going to be facing guys like Anderson who is, is trying to get his way back into an England shirt so that's a theory behind it whether that's actually you know whether it's true that that prepares players to, to play for an international summer you know I, I'm probably not so sure um, I think you're still going to have these five, six sides languishing in Division 2 for a sustained period of time. And that, I, I don't see how that's much good for the game, to be honest. Obviously, the, you know, Bertie, I don't, I don't know how much you read into the, the proposals or the suggestions that ECB are thinking about a 12-team uh, county championship and, and the other counties will just play T20 or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really know <laughs> what sort of state the championship is, is to feed England. Yeah, and that's also a question that we'll only have to answer in three, four, five years' time once England maybe get better or stay as consistently below par as they have been recently. What I will say about the Championship and about the way that players have been treated with it when they played for England for the last probably year or so is that players, I think, need to be identified as much as for runs and wickets as for the technique they possess. And they have to, therefore, be given two, three, four series to prove that in different conditions and under different scenarios, they have the capability to play for England. Someone like Hasib Hamid getting picked up to play at the back end or maybe slightly, slightly too soon, arguably, playing that series against India after an average, like maybe better than average, um, first half of the season for, for Knots, then going to Australia against the best attack in the world on pitches he's not really used to in an when will have he? When would the last time he would have played on a deck like that be? Potent, potentially England A, <laughs> like if ever. 
if ever. Yeah, and he wouldn't really have had much time in England, eh? Because he was into the Test team so young. Like, yeah, well, he's, he's had he's had three series now, and he's spoken about this on on Notch channels recently. He's had three series away in India, one at home to India a few years later, and then away to Australia. And he's been scratched off again because he his return wasn't good enough in Australia. Well, is that how you're going to treat all players? Giving them one one chance, and if they if they don't cut the mustard, then then chuck them back in the county championship. Try and come back again. I mean, you're I also. Think... I mean, to add to that, you're also judging a player off possibly three of the hardest series in international cricket. Hundred percent, which is what he said, right? Like you, you know, going away to going away to Australia and going away to India, probably the two hardest tours you can you can do. So you know, I hope for his sake, he's just one example. Like you know, he's obviously a Nottinghamshire player, and I'd like him to play for England, but he's just one example of play, way players are treated. I don't think you can be that. You, you can't yearn for instant instant success in that way. To uh, get sort of, to sort of sit on the fence a little bit and to get away from a Notts player. Uh, this isn't exactly a conversation that's all about the start of the county championship, but there's there's a relevance because people are, want to know how it's set up and how that feeds into the England team. Is there also an argument, though, that it does just happen that England have actually given a number of players a number of series, be it Crawley, Burns, Sibley, Pope, that it's not as though every single player is like Hamid, where they've had effectively one series to prove themselves and that's it. That's more of a broader point I'm trying to make. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. And probably Crawley has been a good example of someone who's been sort of in and around that side for you know, 18 months now, potentially. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right in that regard. Players have sometimes been given the opportunities. But again, I, 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 it's, it's such a hard one with cricket because it's, it's, the measurements are so black and white, aren't they, in terms of are you averaging you know, an amount that's deemed acceptable but surely we have, I don't know maybe we have to look more technically than that to say are we choosing players who are suited to the international game where the ball is swinging more where we're playing on faster pitches um, yeah I think I, I've said it for a long time I don't think the county game necessarily marries up or prepares players for, for the international game and therefore you know looking to the county championship to say who's going to be our next gun is, is maybe not really the right way to go. So it'll be an interesting season from uh, from an from an England fan sort of neutral perspective, seeing who comes through and whatever. Uh, tomorrow we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, tomorrow, so it'll probably be today for you lot. Uh, the hundred draft uh, is out and released, and we'll find out which players are in that. So me and Ollie will probably do a little bit of a of a lowdown next week as to which which squads are shaping up nicely. Anyway, uh, we'll be back to talk uh, post Wendy's rumblings straight after this. I just feel like he's in now, Steve Smith. He's just seen the ball a lot better. It's that's the end of Smith. Wood gets his man. So we're touched late to the boat, and there's been a week since the series has passed, so we're not going to be going in-depth on England's performance in the Caribbean. Some good, some average, some really boring, some not very good. Uh, but the debate is going to rumble on long into the summer. It looks potentially, Ollie, like the defeat in Granada might be Joe Root's last test as captain. Uh, is it time for or Rooter to pack up the armband and pass it on to someone else? 
I feel like I'm the only person not saying yes to that question, especially in people who know shit, like all the ex England cricketers who are in the media now, who are saying this is definitely time for him to step down. I, w- I would say yes if there was an obvious candidate take over, but given that Stokes is the only person who could, I don't know. I suppose I'm just too strongly of the belief that I want that free spirit of Stokes to just be left to play cricket rather than handle everything that comes along with the captaincy. But do you want the free spirit of England to continue to play bad cricket? <laughs> is like is Joe Root the reason England aren't winning? Is Joe Root's captaincy no. obviously it's not, it's not Joe Root? You know, with the bat, he's he's outrageous. Um, still, but it it is not it. It is not his tactical ineptness that is causing England to lose cricket games. It's I mean, potentially it's, contribute. It's, it's, sorry, Grant Satch. No, I was going to say, it's just blatantly obvious that it's not It's not down to Joe Root's captaincy that England aren't winning test matches. Don't get me wrong, I don't think Joe Root's captaincy is fantastic. I, I hmm. think in, in normal circumstances, Joe Root would be stepping down. I, I don't think he's the right man for the job. But... England are in that really, really fantastic position where they've got literally nobody else to take over them. So what do they do? You know, not notwithstanding Ben Stokes, but obviously we all want to let Ben Stokes be a free spirit and do what do what Ben Stokes does and captaincy be too much of a burden. So you know, Joe Root stays there. The reason England are losing Test matches is we'll say it again because their batting is fucking dreadful. It's it, it's not rocket science. Joe Root's captaincy is not going to paper over the cracks. Of having seven batsmen, you can't get a run. It's it, it's, it's very it's, simple, and it's amazing how much better a batsman he is than all of the rest of them. Can you imagine if if Root had had a really average year with the bat last year and averaged even just forty, even if he just averaged forty rather than sixty, England would look like they're in a far worse situation than they currently and are now. To, to be fair though, Bert, they couldn't have lost any many more Test matches than they already did, you know. They they still did about as bad as they could have done, even with Joe Root averaging sixty. They wouldn't have won that one in India, would they? But I think mm, we can confidently say not. that we, we wouldn't have won that, that one in India, and we probably would have drawn one less in the in the home series against India. Uh, here, my, here's my question, right? And I'm moving slightly away from the root thing now. But do you think England's future is with the players that have already played for England but just haven't found their form yet or haven't performed their best or is it in a load of counter championship players that we're yet to see I honestly don't have the answer for that it's it, it I think the thing that's so bizarre with England and I said this previously is that normally when you get a crop of generally quite good county players or players who pop into a team at any one time. You imagine that one will sort of just suddenly take up the mantle in the way that like Labashen did for Australia, mm. that one of the five will like nail down a test role. At least five or six England batsmen, none of them have done that. And it's almost like there's an element of you that goes, this is just a little bit of bad luck here. Like, and it becomes impossible to predict whether those players will then kick on and do more or not. Like I I think partly the reason why there's so much hashtag discourse flying around England at the moment is that no one's got a fucking clue what the correct answer is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. But I agree. I, th- yeah. I think whether it's the, the England it's whether it's sort of this, you know, revolving platform of England players, Pope, Lawrence, Crawley, all these guys that haven't quite done it in England shirt yet. Or it's I don't know Bahannon and Rob Yates and 
Balderson and, and guys in the current championship that haven't got a go yet, whichever either of those scenarios, if one of those is going to be successful, it's going to take time. And I know that's such a cliche and it's such a go-to, like, ah, you know, winning will take time. But in, they are the only ways to success and neither of those will happen anytime soon. So park your expectation that England are going to be in a, a good side for a few years because they, they just haven't got the players. And stop trying to pluck players out of thin air and be like, right, now this is our Red Bull reset, so we're going to win the West Indies. Well, we're not because it's the same players that realistically have just been battered if not in Australia, then over the last two years against India or whoever else it might have been. It's I mean, this, this, this is what I find frustrating about England. Not, well, I don't find it frustrating. I find it vastly amusing. But <laughs> if I was an England fan, I'd find it frustrating. You know, there just seems to be this constant revolving door of players. You come in and then you don't do very well and then you go out and another crop of players come in and they don't do very well and they go out and everybody has a moan again and again. Like... England have done the given given a long route to players and they not worked. England have done the revolving door and it's not worked. But I think one of those options is preferable to do that. I, I think England really needs to stop this. Just pl- like you say, only plucking players out of thin air, put them in the test team, hoping for the best, hoping them for, them for them to magically do something fantastic and they don't do it. Like just really have a sit down and think: Who are your best fifteen lads in the country? And give them a long run in the team and just let them find the feet. And accept the fact that there's going to be some short-term pain because doing the revolving door is not getting you any better results. You know, get, let let these let some of these lads who have got promise and potential have a long run in the team and make some mistakes, but you know, hopefully come out with a better experience at, at the end of it. I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong, but at the same time, going through the main the main a lot of the main players who have been given the chance in the England side, and you talk about revolving door. Firstly, you could argue, well, you could argue Butler was left in there potentially for too long. Maybe he wasn't, maybe he was, but he was there for a lot of tests. Dom Sibley, since 2019, 22 tests. Rory Burns, 32 tests. Zach Croy, 21 tests. Ollie Polk, 23 tests. It's not as though there aren't players who were there for a significant period of time to show themselves, you could argue. Like, there do seem to be a lot of players popping up, but it's because there's a lot of positions where which aren't firing, if you see what I mean. There's still, you are right in that certain players have been given the chances, but I'd love to know, over the past, I don't know, let's call it 20 tests, how many times have the top six been the same? Yeah. It's consistency. Like Hope and Lawrence are in one test, then one of them's out and Bairstow replaces them, and then the other one's out and... I don't know, Folks comes in and then Butler's in and then the next test, Pope and Lawrence are back in. Oh, and then Crawley goes up to open and then Burns had one good game and he's back in. Like, I, I, It's not the lack of game time necessarily, but the consistency within the side that, that irks me more, I think. It's, it's almost as if the selectors are like going onto Twitter on the Discover page on Twitter and going, which which batsmen are trending highest? With you know, Which ones have had the most mentions on the hashtags? And let's just pick them. It, it, there's, there's just no sort of like... Rationale in, in from 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 my far away vantage point. There doesn't seem to be any rationale in how England selectors are picking this team. It just seems to be a, a new random bloke every week or one that they've binned off six months ago, but had given a chance, you know, a little bit before that. It it, it seems bizarre and random to me. I can't quite figure it out. <clears throat> and I do generally think it goes back to this issue of players who play or players in India and Australia, come to this international scene and they're like oven ready to steal a phrase. That doesn't happen in England because, well, 
they've never played cricket like international cricket. The standard of domestic cricket in India and Australia is so good and similar enough to the international standard that actually you're getting good practice. You throw Hamid in there, I'm sorry, but playing Worcester at New Road on the absolute, you know, like the M5 is not the same as facing Stark and Cummins and Hazelwood and Perth or wherever they played their cricket. I don't care about Do I've I've read a few articles on Crick Info recently. Um, Sid Monger in particular, I think it was, who's done some deep dives on this or some length, lengthier articles. And I, I think the whole domestic cricket scene is a little bit of a red herring. I don't think, I don't think India's domestic cricket scene is necessarily any better than England's, for example, in the, its standards. Probably, it, you know, probably by the vast number of teams that like India, by like thirty-eight domestic teams, that like you're likely to find somebody good from somewhere. And there's a thing. What really is setting India apart, and actually New Zealand as well, um, as I found out from this article, is the A team stuff. And we kind of touched on this yeah. before, but India's A team is like they've got a proper, proper setup for the A team, and they put so much effort and analysis. Probably a similar amount of analysis and effort and resources go into India's A team as most test nations put into their test team. Again, New Zealand have actually put a real emphasis on their A-team tours um, to the point where the, the board said, even though it's financially detrimental to us, we're going to take the hit and really just put some emphasis on this t- for the benefit of the test team. And actually, I think I read in the article is that England Lions or England ECB have not really done that much with the England Lions of late. It's actually England Lions of the ones who tailed off in terms of fixtures played or intensity of cricket played of late. And it, it, I don't know if, if this seems really obvious to me it seems really obvious but one of the best ways to get a player over and ready for test match cricket is not plucking them straight out of the domestic team a domestic circuit which is obviously far and away a different game to test match cricket it's plucking them out of uh, an a-team setup where the tour in different countries they're playing the sort of second the, the next best of a lot of the, the other country playing a really high standard and competitive form of cricket in a sort of test match setting, that's what's going to get players over and ready for your test team, not, you know, whoever's doing well in the county setup. It's a different a different conditions thing, I think, is a huge part of it for England. And one of the reasons why the, the Ashes almost just seems so hopeless from, from Rory Bills, Burns, Mitchell, start ball one, partly because they were just literally almost parachuted in, no proper practice, they were warming up between themselves, and that was it. And that, that was one of the reasons why I think England were particularly poor with the bat, because it was suddenly parachuted in, quite low in confidence with the bat anyway and and then was straight in to the Gabba first first ball with the bat secondly what you say about the variety of uh, it, the Sheffield Shield final was uh, this uh, this week just gone Western Australia beat Victoria and left it the first time in 23 years or whatever but something that struck me about the Sheffield Shield is that first class games they only actually play about seven to nine games in a season in terms of actual top-level first-class cricket. Now, a lot of those players will be playing high-level grade cricket and so on. But it did sort of strike me that in India, you have 38, 40 teams, whatever it is, playing in Ranji Trophy. The the general level of quality must be quite diluted. In Australia, it's high quality, but you only get like seven or eight games. And then, But we just sort of look at the county championship in like complete isolation and go, well, either there's not enough games or they're not playing enough games against a high enough quality. And there's an element that you, where you go, there are other countries which are successful with entirely different domestic setups compared to other countries around the world. So there must be something around it to do with, right, what 
preparation are the players getting outside of England? Like, I mean, Crawley famously went to India. His, his, his dad was wealthy enough to be able to fund him to do that. But like, you get players who come, Labuschagne, example again, came to England, played in the county championship to get used to different conditions. England players potentially just have to do that a bit more. Um, it would be it would seem odd an English player going and playing in India for a season, but a lot of players come over to England partly because generally can earn a wage. But there's a multitude of factors that affect that batting lineup. I, I think in the county championships are, are also quite a bit more um, open to sort of foreign players coming in and playing, whereas I don't think. An England player could necessarily go over to India and play in domestic cricket there. I don't. I don't think the BCC would allow BCCI would allow it. But you know, I, I'm going to bang the drum again. You know, a perfect example of in the A team tours or a product of it, Mohammed Siraj. Everybody commented about when Mohammed Siraj came into India's Test team, how ready he looked. He, he looked. He looked like a natural. He had a real sort of few years worth of grounding and a tough school in the India team, which got him ready for that. He wasn't just plucked out of thin air. You know, people talk about that Gabba test when India won out of nowhere with loads of injuries. All these lads are actually not, they're not nobodies. They've, they've, they've either played, that, you know, lots of IPL, high-level cricket, or they've, um, you know, they've played on the ATORs. We, we need to, I, th- I think England needs to accept the fact that the county championship, cricket in the county championship is just a different game to test match cricket. It, it's it's just not even remotely close in, in style. Ne- never mind standard, it's not close in style. And so... You can't expect players coming out of the county championship to do well in test match cricket. You have to give them opportunities and long time, long sort of run of opportunities in a scenario where it's going to mirror test match cricket as much as possible. And, you know, I, th- I really think England needs to sort of reinvigorate or re pump a lot more money, resources into the England Lions and really get those tours going again. This might be a, 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 a almost a bad analogy. I will offer up a lot of bad analogies, but you can almost look at it in comparison to like just general education when, and Satch, you've done teaching before. I almost see like the county championship, it's almost like learning past papers. You learn the conditions for that one thing and then you go in and then you, you, you piss out your maths GCSE, get your A star, B, C or whatever Ollie got doing sports science. Uh, but you can't frame your entire education and learning around just doing that one thing you have to have a variety of things that build that knowledge and allow you to become holistically in the form of cricket more knowledgeable and I think that's partly where where England there's just so many different reasons and that England aren't batting very well and you just really felt at the end of that series against West Indies that a win in that last game would have been the perfect chance for them just to have a break wouldn't it it would have been the best thing that they could have had in age is just a 1-0 win away from home against a side that the past few series have not done very well against, particularly away from home. And that break just didn't come and we just saw the same sort of crumble as we previously had. And the ECB have a lot of plates to spin and they've just almost got to take the tempo down and just analyse multiple different things at once. And unless they deal with those multiple different things, then they're probably not going to see significant change in the test setup anytime soon. One thing they are looking to change is uh, the applications are now open to the, be the uh, MD, Managing Director of England Men's Cricket. Uh, what do you think you two could bring to the role? I'll give that one to Ali first. I'd say not a lot, to be honest. I don't, what, what's, did you have a peruse of what the 
primary responsibilities are? Yeah, so I had a look at the specification, which on the website was actually spelt wrong as person uh, certification rather than specification. So that was a strong start from the ECB. Uh, <laughs> what you require is vision, creativity, innovation, and the ability to identify solutions to complex problems. Really, there should be a square bracket that goes England's batting, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, gravitas and versatility to lead, inspire, build strong relationships throughout the game experience of dealing with the media and crisis management can you uh, can you bring that from the position of uh, in-house journalist at knots yeah yeah and probably not a job for me that i don't think though i think i could bring all those qualities except for a passion for english cricket <laughs> yeah i mean that doesn't actually ask for that to be honest to be honest like look looking at england's previous track record of head honchos i can't i've not seen much passion there to be honest so what's on the desirable right. desirable is international and or first class county playing experience but given that that's not absolutely necessary it's then i don't know it's not bad you could have a chance uh, but nas nasa reckons that sorry go on uh, I was going to say, uh, NASA reckons that uh, Rob Keir's director of cricket, Ponting as test coach, and Ben Stokes as captain would add real steel in capitals, it's a Daily Mail article, to soft England and get them moving back again. Rob I'm not one to disagree with NASA, to be honest, but yeah. It was, it, I did see that come up, and Rob Keir said he, you know, the, it'd have to be a very I'm not Rob Keir's biggest fan. To move away from the guys, well, I don't mind Rob Keir, I just, uh, who knows what it is. I'm trying to think of someone on the top of my head who would be good for that role. But I don't know. I don't really know who would be best as coach, who would be best as captain, or who would be best as uh, MD. So I'm probably not the person to take on the mantle of progressing the English cricket game. Just before we go, though, what, what I was going to say, Ollie, what do you reckon about Ponting as captain or Langer as captain? Oh, sorry, not captain, coach. There's there's been a lot of stuff flying around as to whether they sort of need steel and sort of like like an old an old dog will go in and go your shit your shit your shit I was better than you listen to me, but it's does that fix their batting though? Does that does that fix England? I don't I don't really know. I I think you could see with Langer that obviously I don't necessarily think that all coaches should be like always arm around arm around the play. Oh yeah, everything's it's all right, mate. Like it's all good. Uh, but you could see, like, whether it was from the documentary about Australia or whether the relationships that Langer has had with players in the Australian team since. I just don't think that that is necessarily what England need. He doesn't. He doesn't look like he's someone who's going to go in with a with a level head and and resort everything from from effectively from top to bottom. I'm not saying he wasn't a good coach for Australia, but he had a shelf life, and I don't think a play a, a coach with a particular shelf life and one who doesn't seem to be I don't know it didn't come across as being that great a man manager is exactly what England need right now no, I completely agree I think the man management aspect is as important as the coaching aspect given England's fragilities at the minute I, th- I think Ponting's a less a less out there shout to be fair like, I think Ponting's yeah. a very good shout from from what I've heard you know with his IPL coaching stints for example with the um, Delhi, uh, by all accounts, he, as as is probably quite obvious, he brings an exceptional cricket and brain to proceedings. He can probably do a lot from a technical perspective in terms of, especially on a, in, on the batting front. Um, and you know, it doesn't seem like as much of a hothead as Langer does, um, from what we can see. So, I I I reckon as controversial as it would be to get an ex Aussie captain, I think. Um, I think Ponting would be a pretty decent shout as coach. Yeah. 
it brings a lot of clarity and direction, I reckon, to its English cricket, which as 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 I've ranted about already on this episode, I don't think there's a lot of clarity and direction in English cricket right now. The uh, Great Cricketer interview with Brett Lee talking about uh, Justin Langer is very good, actually, if you want to check that out. Uh, Satch, in uh, bigger news, uh, we can actually unite in uh, in distaste around one team that we both agree that we can't bring ourselves to support. Is this is Manchester United, this, whatever, the Dubai or UAE Manchester United team? Manchester United Cricket Club, the one cricket club that me and Satch can both agree we really don't like for the first time ever. Mansour bin Mohammed of the UAE, uh, met with Avram Glazer, co-chairman of Manchester United, I'm reading from his tweet uh, the other week, and discussed ways to work together to further raise Dubai's profile as a global sporting hub. And and here's the real clincher. Uh, we also discussed the UAE T20 Cricket League's launch in January 2023, get it in your calendars, featuring Manchester United cricket team and other teams. Thoughts and feelings? Horrific. I've got nothing to do with anything involving a Manchester United cricket team. There is, I don't know why, but even though obviously it doesn't make any sense, there's something really funny about a Manchester United cricket team being launched in Dubai when Manchester United play at Old Trafford half a mile from cricket Old Trafford where Lancashire play. <laughs> I think it Just might wrong. be the it might be the official death of cricket. It might be the thing that really that really pushes me over the edge. And that may well be the, the death of the gentleman as Jared Kimber once put it. And this is the first show we've done since since Shane Warne very suddenly and tragically passed away and it's about a month or so ago now but it would seem remiss to not at least reflect reflect briefly on uh, on the king and the impact that he had upon cricket uh such I think me and you both watched a little bit of the tribute that was paid to him at the MCG which was attended by about 50,000 people and his family and and friends and it was a really extraordinary and and moving the ceremony seems the wrong word but a bit of tribute yeah paid to paid to Shane Warne and the impact that he had upon upon cricket and and the wider world uh, he he really was someone who completely transcended the sport and he was just a normal bloke who seemed like a good laugh and it's such an unusual it's very unusual for that to happen yeah and i think it's speaks to like what people like to see or what people relate to you know we often can't relate to international sports and because they just show good at what they do they just show elite at what they do but it brings a sense of normality to it when the person doing unbelievably extravagant things is actually just a bit like you you know they, they, they love a love a pint they love a cigarette as he said as as, as his dad actually finished his speech off at the memorial service, you know, Shane said, I smoked, I drank, and I played a bit of cricket. It's, you know, he was very much just a normal bloke. and Well, I guess a normal Aussie bloke, so to speak. Um, and people people could identify with him, and that's why people loved him. And I think more so than anything else, he's, he had that very intangible quality as an international sportsman of, he wasn't just, he, he wasn't, he wasn't a, high level or world class play because you know he had all the subtleties and the nuances of things that you appreciate when you're older. He had that just joy of cricket or brilliance about him that a young a young person could love. You know, I, I was I guess all of us were very young growing up watching Shane Warne, but we, we you know he, he definitely helped me fall in love with the sport just watching him. I I I as a 
young kid didn't really understand the intricacies of cricket, but I could tell Shane Warne is a superstar and I loved watching him. And, you know, very few sportsmen in life have that have that quality. You know, Ronaldinho was one of those when I was growing up. He, was, he might not be messy, but he had something that made you fall in love with the sport. You know, that, I think that, that more than anything for me is what summed Shane Warne up. I think each of us were probably, like you say, we're almost a little, a little bit too young to uh, to appreciate Sean, Shane Warne and his pomp when we were growing up because we would have been, I was eight at the time of 2005 Ashes. And and it should be said, he hugely contributed to that series with an extraordinary, like 40 wickets in a five-match series, which they then lost. Uh, and he really was at his absolute peak then. And obviously he'd had a, a year out of the sport for, uh, for, for a drugs test uh, a couple of years before. But there's something about leg spin which it's it's almost ephemeral in in what it is in 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 sport in, in cricket and in wider sport in general. It's one of the hardest things to execute in cricket and in sport to be really good at. But it's also something which is almost strangely beautiful if you do get someone who can do it right. You can see Rashid Khan bowl and he's just fantastic to watch. But Warren, like more than anyone else made something which was so inherently unpredictable and made it routine, but then married that with razzing it more than any other player had in terms of revolutions on the ball, spinning it, turning it square, but then at the same time ambling in off five steps and then sending the batsman the complete wrong way. He's, he was completely impossible to almost put into words how unusual he was as a sportsman i think and, and leg spin was such a it is a real art and he was he was the ultimate artist of that and ollie's just given us a thumbs up he's got he's got no comments on shane well, Warne. he's just been I, blown away I, by by our own personal little stories i could add my own sort of gushing um admiration man, but i think you, you summed it up pretty nicely there the same reason that no one has any respect for the off spinners for off spinners in general because it's the easiest thing to do in cricket everyone does and did and should have the utmost respect for leg spinners because it defies defies what the body should be able to do in my head but he did it with the attitude of an off spinner he was like that sort of pomp and like ah fuck it you know sort of attitude yeah yeah and completed the most difficult thing there is to do in cricket and we'll never get to hear him uh, wax lyrical on his commentary again. Oh, I don't, I can't remember. I might have heard this wrong. It might be someone else I've been talking to. But were you, were you there at that Melbourne test in two thousand and six? Yeah, yeah, because because I, I was, I was there as well. No and way. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how much you remember about about the day, but I, I remember I went the second day after England had been rolled by uh, by Australia, and it was. Every everyone just wanted to see one get a wicket. It wasn't. It was. It was. It was the day after he got a seven hundred wicket. But I just remember age nine. There being a real sort of feeling was everyone in the crowd. They just desperately wanted to see Shane Warne get get like his his last wicket or a wicket in his final test at his home ground. And the day that we went to watch, in fact, Hayden and Simons both ploughed on like one hundred and fifty each and. We saw like after after lunch we got like one wicket, so we didn't actually get to see one. But I really remember vividly the sort of fervor from the England fans and the Australian fans just wanting to see Warren turn his arm over one more time. I mean, your your memory is 
far better than mine because I have little to no recollection of the day itself. Um, my actually my strongest memory is the fact that the chips at the MCG were unbelievable and nothing's come <laughs> close since. Um, and then apparently I was dying for a, a wee, um, but my pet, my dad especially was like, "You are not going anywhere." Um, so that you can say that you were there, so I can basically sit on this podcast now, how many years later. Um, the fact I found that, that recollection happened. so apt, though, Ollie, Ollie, because of of all the momentous occasion that was going on that day, I think that Shane Warren would have loved more than anything else with the standard of the <laughs> chips in the in the crowd. Oh, honestly, the seasoning of them, it was, oh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I, yeah. Shane Warren, the king, for some, uh, the greatest bowler of all time but equally an identifiable soul who, to millions, despite his magical shambling up to the crease, he was just a, just a normal bloke, one of us. So to play us out, I bring the late, great Shane Keith Warren giving a lesson to his co-coms about pizza. It's a great city, Melbourne, great city. I like your food. I can go anywhere with my ham and pineapple pizza, but if you like your food and you're a bit of a foodie, it's a great city, Melbourne. It's my understanding that you dropped some pineapple on a barbecue chicken pizza the other night, warning. I did too. Absolutely sensational. I'll tell you what, the other thing I've come up with the local pizza place that I like around the corner is spaghetti bolognese on a pizza. Really? Now, don't, now, just hold your horses because Michael Clark started laughing and said, come on, turn it up. You can't be serious. I said, just have a piece, mate. Just try it. And I'll tell you what, he devoured a couple oh. of pieces after that too. It was delicious. When did you come up with that one? A while ago. Was it? Mm, it's good, Mick. One of the funniest was when we were in London and the Ashes tour and we went to a Japanese restaurant one night, JB. Fine, a fine Japanese restaurant. Problem for Warney, so we ordered in a couple of pizzas. This beautiful fine dining <laughs> Japanese restaurant. It, it was in Mayfair in a, and all. It comes in a big box too. <laughs> they get rid of the box. Just ate the dirty rotten ham and pineapple out of the box. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Somehow management allowed it to happen. <laughs> What's your favourite pizzas? Mine's got to be a ham and pineapple. You don't want to get too fancy, though. You want to I like with a lot. Thin base. The thin works. base. Ham, you like the works, I, do you, I, Jim? I'm a bit more gourmet these days. Oh, I like the lamb and goat's cheese and oh, that sort of But I think they've advanced your pizza morning. I think they've gone to a new level now of pizza. Like the, get some chilli on there. A bit of spice. Get a spice them up. What about Jim? A bit gourmet pizza. If you're going to have a pizza, you want a dirty, rotten pizza, don't you? You want it dripping with fat and all what's down the, your chin. What's the pastry? Warning thin? Thin. It's got to be like thin. thin. Yeah, I'm with you, Mick. What about, what about Mr. Gourmet over here, eh? The gourmet one. <laughs> I tell you what, we might even whack up something about these pizzas too. I reckon, I reckon most of them on our side, Mick. You and me. Well, I'm not sure about Brayshaw Silver Spoon Gourmet. Eats it with a knife and fork, I reckon. Too. Traditional or <laughs> gourmet? Yeah, we'll find out. We can't really put dirty rotten pizza in there, can we? We've got to put traditional <laughs> or gourmet. <laughs> I love when you bite it; it burns the roof of your mouth because the ham's too hot and the cheese sticks to your chin. A bit of oil dribbles down the shirt, and you go, oh, "How good is this?" <laughs> Wash it down with a little frothy. Thanks very much. Well, all this talk about it, we thought we'd ask you viewers out there. We had 700,000 of you prefer Melbourne over Sydney. Let's have a look at what sort of pizza they like. James Brayshaw's Gourmet or my Dirty Rotten. Dirty Rotten Pizza, the Gourmet. Gourmet's got the Dirty Rotten. The and Pineapple's still winning at 22. Traditional, Mick. They're with us. 30%. Where's that Gourmet? 18 horse. It's got to lift Dirty Chance. Rotten. Come on. Dirty Rotten. 
82% like normal pizzas and 18% like your fancy gourmet one. With a knife and fork, dressed up in a suit and tie. You watch gourmet jump from here. I'm not sure the gourmet is going to go up. I reckon traditional ham and pineapple in dirty. Oh, they're dirty rotten's making a move. Ham and pineapple. Whoa. That's not the comprehensive victory you were expecting, Shane Warnan. If you're man enough, you don't up to that. No, no, 18% of gourmet. I'm sort of bunching because traditional, you go traditional hot and spicy, you have a dirty rotten, then you have a traditional ham and pineapple and a traditional.